Well, good evening. You can talk to me. Good evening. Hello. We are a charismatic church. We believe in talking back to the preacher. So hi. That was not a rhetorical hello. I am so glad you are here. Thank you for coming tonight. We've had to add like 85 more chairs in this room because, yeah, it's a good problem. It's a good problem. So a bunch more people joining and new families every week. We are thrilled that you are here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in our series going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one announcement for you double dippers who come on Sundays. I'm preaching again this Sunday, the same sermon. So either I'll see you Sunday or I won't, but you've got the heads up, okay? A slightly better version on Sunday, maybe. Um, So what I'll do is I'll read you this text. It's four very sobering verses from Jesus. He's up on the mountain teaching. And so what I'll do is I'll read the text and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the Son of God himself. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, That anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body then for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, dang. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. God, tonight we believe that you love us. And we repent for every time where people have stood in pulpits like this one and preached a word as if you hate us. So tonight we just root ourselves in your love. We root ourselves in your fatherly kindness. We root ourselves in your saving mercy. We root ourselves in the power of your spirit that is here to help us tonight. We just say help us. Help us, oh God, help this preacher. Lord, we pray that your word would race through this place. We pray that your word would enliven us. We pray that your word would strengthen us. We pray that your word would carve out of us every bit of sin and distraction and foolishness. Lord, have your way among your people tonight. Pray may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. amen. This is Christianity's founding document. This is Jesus coming to announce and to launch, to inaugurate and to open up the kingdom right in front of us. And what we see in this text is that Jesus is not here to play. (laughs) Jesus has come onto the scene, the word is made flesh, and he's the one who is God's salvation in bodily form, and he, he knows what has happened to the human race. 
right? Right in the middle of history, the cross stands, right? We know what happened before Jesus, and here we are living on the backside of the cross, and Jesus comes to be salvation for all that went before and for all that would lie ahead, and Jesus is looking back at the past, and he knows that the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, and Jesus knows what has happened, that the enemy has dangled the carrot of, of, of seduction in front of us, and we have taken it, And it has killed us. And so Jesus comes and he sits on the mountainside and he's not here to be precious with these people. He's here to save these people. He's here to wake these people up. He's here to save us. He's here to wake us up. And so tonight the title of this message is The Prohibition, The Problem, and The Healing Practices. The Prohibition, The Problem, and The Healing Practices. It's important to name the moment that we are living in today. We are living in a sex-saturated society. Magazine covers, you're checking out at the grocery store, you're turning your little four-year-old's head away, and you're just, la, 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 look over there, squirrel. You're just trying to, like, it's just everywhere you go, and and it's it's, uh, internet pop-up ads, and it's TikTok, and it's Tinder, and it's Instagram, and it's Carl's Jr. commercials. Terrible burgers, have to put a beautiful woman up to try to get you to buy something that will kill you. And both of them will kill you. Like, so here we go, like, we just can't, we live in a sex-saturated society. Can we just name the obvious? Sermon on the Mount, God has something to say about our sexuality. Jesus says what he says, and it doesn't play very well in our culture that says, no one tells me what to do, and it's my body and my choice, and follow your heart, and you be you, and all it takes is consent. It just takes consent. Like, just be grown adults, and live and let live, and you don't tell me what to do, and I'll just kind of live my life over here, and you do your thing, and don't try to judge me, and don't try to put any standard on my life. I am my own person, right? Jesus says one thing and our culture rebels against his words. Not only does our culture idolize pleasure and desire, but we've lost a sense of collective moral knowledge. You know, just a collective sense of, you know, just some things are wrong. Like we ought not do that. that, that's gross. You crossed a line there. Like, we can all agree on these things, can't we? No, we can't anymore. The moment that we're living in has lost a sense of collective moral knowledge and of common virtue, and we've replaced it with opinions and feelings and our chief God of the age, which is autonomy. No one is God. No one's in charge of me. I am my own lowercase God, and I'm good. Ronald Rollheiser, a great Catholic theologian, says there has been a divorce in Western culture between religion and eros, which is passion and fertility. The ancient god of eros is the god of passion and fertility. In our Western culture, we've, we've had a divorce between religion and eros, and like all divorces, it was painful, and as in all divorces, the property got divided up. Religion got to keep God, and the secular got to keep sex. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus remarries the two. God and his ways, a sense of common virtue, and what we do with our bodies. 
Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And our Western culture has tried to divide and go, yeah, God, he's precious and he, great, that's fine. And then and the world gets to keep sex and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is bringing the two back together. So in our text today, I wanna put in front of you the prohibition. The prohibition, it's a prohibition against adultery. Don't do it, says Jesus. And he's borrowing from Moses in the Ten Commandments. Moses is on Mount Sinai and God writes the words on the tablet and he gives it to Moses and Moses goes down and says, thou shalt not and thou shalt not and thou shalt not. And he's, he's putting a vision of a common moral virtue together for the people. And so Jesus is drawing on that. You have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. Tonight I wanna to define our terms. What is adultery? Adultery is simply having sex with someone who is not your spouse. So you young ones who aren't married, I'll say to you, why does, the church, why does the church prohibit, why does God prohibit premarital sex? Because you would be tampering with someone's future spouse. We just think, oh, that adultery's for when you get married. No, like, don't do it beforehand. Why? Because that's going to be someone else's person. You shouldn't do that. Stop it. Okay? So God is trying to protect us from from making decisions that destroy not just ourselves, but destroy someone else and destroy someone, just tamper with someone's future. Like, don't do that. The prohibition is adultery. And one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not. And Jesus is reminding us here of God's kingdom sexual ethic. And the people that he's talking to, again, I've, I've told you before that these are agrarian people who would have understood two very prominent biblical metaphors. First metaphor is the seed and the second metaphor is the womb. And the earth was spoken of as like the womb, right? It would receive the seed in the ground that the farmer plants, and, and the womb would, would gestate and grow that crop, and that crop would rise up and bless the world. It, the seed in the womb. And so the seed is planted as, we, as we're talking about sexual purity. The seed is planted, right? And, and the womb is the harvest field, where the crop grows. So the wife and husband, Jesus is taking up this ancient sexual ethic that Moses put in front of the people of God and he's talking to the wife and the husband who were the team. They were like the two harvesters out working in the fields to raise and to harvest this crop called children. And so he's saying to them, there is a way to steward your sexuality. You'll put the seed into the ground and God will bless it and the rain will come and it will grow and it will grow and it will grow and one day you'll go out and you'll harvest that crop and there will be rejoicing. In our day though, love has been separated from sex and sex is separated from responsibility. People are just out scattering seed at random. No commitment, no vision, no willingness to work. Like, I'm just gonna throw seed out into the world, but there's no, like, purposed harvest. And I'm not gonna stay in any one field. I'm just gonna bounce around the globe spreading seed. Can we just be honest about the moment that we live in? Jesus steps in and takes us way back to God's vision of sexuality, which is a vision of commitment. Husband and wife focusing their affection. 
This is the one piece of ground that God has given us to till and we're gonna be harvesters in this field and we, it's not the whole world that we're, we're tasked to serve. It's just right here. This is our little patch of ground and God has blessed us here and, and God will feed us here and God will nourish us here and God will cause the sun to shine here and the rain to fall here like this. This place right here is all we need on planet earth. God has been good to us. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God has blessed me right here. He's rooting sex back in the context of building a world of covenant relationships. The prohibition is adultery. Don't run around. Don't, just stay right where you are. This is where we start is the prohibition. But, but Jesus doesn't just stay with the prohibition. He takes us to the root problem. And the root problem is lust. Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said. Jesus does this six times in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You think you're working with a sense of common knowledge, but let me actually tease this out for you and interpret this for you. You've heard the letter of the law, but let me tell you the spirit of what God is up to in the world, why he would prohibit you from this. So Jesus takes us deeper into the problem, which is lust. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, and so he's talking to men here because it's a patriarchal society. This is for men and women. Let's, let's use our imaginations here, right? We understand that Jesus wants all of us to think this way. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the law the Mosaic law, and he ups the ante. The stakes get higher. He doesn't just leave it at the prohibition. He takes us to the root of the problem, and the root is lust. Let me give you the, the Daniel Grothy translation of Matthew 20, 5, 27. You've heard it said, just keep your body out of bed with them. But I tell you to also keep your mind, your emotions, and your hopes out of bed with them. your mind, your emotions, your hopes. Every sexual sin starts with a stare. Not a look. We look, we've got eyes. We, we, we're looking at the world, it's all around us, and the world is beautiful. God has done a great job. God, in, in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, God is not some like uh, self-protective, prudish, oh my goodness, he's not afraid. He's not afraid, he's not trying to circle the wagon. God is like, profligate with his beautiful creativity and he's very happy about what he's made it's not a look it's a stare the problem is lust you have heard it said keep your body i'm saying keep your mind keep your emotions keep your hopes keep your affections out of bed with them jesus is moving from strictly addressing deeds to addressing desires mosaic law deeds don't do it thou shalt not Jesus goes, yes, that's the great starting point, but let me take you to the, to the issue. Let me take you down. Let me take you into the world of God's mind. The mind is, God doesn't just want to change our deeds. He wants to change our desires. So what is lust? If lust is the root problem, what is lust? The Greek word that Jesus uses for lust is epithumo, which is to look with lustful intent, to yearn. For, to covet for the purpose of consumption. Lust is I want to destroy you so that I can feel better. I want to use what you are 
I don't want to commit myself to you. I don't, want to, I don't want to get tangled up with your life. I don't want to pay your bills. I don't, want to, I don't want to bleed for you. I just want to take the good thing and just use it for my own consumption. That's lust. It's tearing someone else apart for your own temporary good. And Jesus says, it's, it's not just adultery that's the problem. It's lust where you're looking around the world and you want their house and you want their car, and you want their salary, and you want their hair. I see all you good-looking men out there, just luxurious locks. I, I pray for people like you. I, I pray for... You, you, you want, you yearn for, you, you, you want to take other people's... You aren't happy with what God gave you. And so you want to steal goodness from other people without bleeding for them. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's always going to mean a cross. This is what love looks like. I love you so much that I'll give everything. I love you so much that I'll wash your feet. I love you so much that I'll come to your hospital bed and pray over you and not take your life away from you by throwing you in some bed and stealing your purity. Jesus says the stakes are high. Like, you want to know what love is like? You have heard it said, if you just stay out of bed, you're doing fine. No, I tell you, you've got to love the world. And to love is to live for someone else's good even if and even when it costs you. You want to know what love is like? Stare at the cross for the rest of your life. Don't look for someone who's got those spectacular abs. Look for someone who will pick up a cross and deny themselves and serve you till you're 90. Abs are just bonus. That's right. So in our world that objectifies and depersonalizes and dehumanizes, we don't treat people as fellow image bearers. Our world is teaching us to steal the goodness and keep on moving to the next field. At New Life Church, we are going to talk about this. Typically, the church has, and I'm not talking about just New Life specifically, I'm talking about in general. I'll just say the American church. Typically, the American church has dealt with the issue of sexual immorality in two ways. We're either mean or we're mute. God hates you and all you stupid people out there who are doing the bad stuff and looking at the wrong things. And God, you're going to hell in a handbasket. And like, oh my gosh, like what? Like, don't tell me I'm making that stuff up. I've been in those church services where you thought God like hated you and hated sex. We're either mean about it and furrowed brow and we're shouting or we're just. It's fine. He's gracious. God is this heavenly being, a grandfather. You just sort of, he's just dispensing good things and he doesn't really have an opinion and he's, it's okay. It's okay. He's just gracious. At New Life, we are going to be neither mean nor mute. 
We're gonna read the scriptures and we're gonna talk about what it means and we're gonna pray and we're gonna repent and we're gonna look at the cross to see what love looks like. And, and so we're just gonna name it tonight. So let me just take you into a few details of the moment we're living in. Pornography is rampant in our world. It's not just a male problem. 33% of these website visits are by females. In studies done on extramarital affairs, 300% more likely, the person that commits adultery is 300% more likely to have been looking at pornography. It destroys you. It's normal and celebrated today. 90% of our teens and young adults are either positive about it or just neutral. It's fine. In fact, a recent study says that the majority of teens and young adults see pornography as less objectionable than not recycling. Like, how far have we fallen? We say things like, if it doesn't hurt anyone else, it does hurt other people. Like people, like the the demand creates supply. So if we demand it, then sexual slavery is happening all over the globe because the demand is so strong, we've got to keep supplying it and we've got to supply it for free. And so we we steal people away and we put them in trucks and we send them up and down I-25 and we, we lock them in houses and film them and we put it up because it's so easy and people all over the globe are clicking on it and the company's making money while this slave is locked in a room being miserable while they're, it destroys everyone. Producers, consumers, trains us to objectify. You are just an object for my consumption and it kills our ability to love. So Jesus says, root out lust. You have heard it said, just stay out of it. No, I tell you that whoever latches on to someone, of, someone else through their eyes, has already committed, you're destroying them in your heart and no one would ever know it, but God knows it and you will know it because it will catch up with you because it turns you into a shell of a human being. Root out epithumo. Stop yearning for other people. Stop yearning for other fields. Just receive the gift that God has given you right where you are and get really simple and get really faithful and stay rooted and friends as we do do this, we actually find life. The devil tells us you have to steal something to love your life. And God says, if you'll receive the gifts that I've given you, I will give you life and life to the full. Let me clarify something. Sexual desire is not bad. God gave it to us. Jesus is not saying we need to be less sexual. God gave us our sexual desires. He commanded the first humans, Adam and Eve, here's a covenant relationship. You two are gonna be together for the rest of your lives. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, copulate and populate. Go for it. I need you, like, you're made in my image. Recreate and fill the world with children and and take new territory and, like, go for it and enjoy. The garden is good and this gift is good. This relationship is good. I've blessed you and have fun. Stay right here, but have fun. 
Jesus is not prohibiting the appreciation of beauty or finding someone else attractive. If someone catches your eye, don't stare. But if some, it just life happens and you see it, you go, good job, God, and move on. <laughs> just keep moving. Hey, ah, baba, yeah. Yes, Lord, amen. <laughs> just keep moving. It's okay. We are made sensory beings. In God's sensuous world, and I mean that in like the very clean, honest word, like root of the word, sensuous world, a sensory world of God's blessing and goodness. Feeling, having these feelings is not the problem. And I'll say to you parents, when you're talking with your kids, bless the desire and correct the direction. I was talking with Aaron Stern about this this week, just a genius of a guy who's pastored around here, planted Mill City Church in Fort Collins. We were talking about this text. and He's been pre- preaching it recently, and so we were just checking our notes. And, and he talked about correct, blessing the desire, correcting the direction. Like, if we make our kids feel like the desire is the problem, then what happens is they drive down deep into privacy. If they, they think, man, I... I feel this, but maybe I'm the one that's wrong and maybe I'm sinful and maybe I'm the one that shame comes on and then you start hiding. Bless the desire. Correct the direction. Having these feelings is not the problem. Temptation is not a sin. It's what we do with the temptation that matters. The prohibition is adultery. The problem is lust, and Jesus says, root it out. So what about the two healing practices? How do we root it out? I want to put two practices in front of you tonight, and then we'll come to a time of prayer and confession and receiving communion. The, the two healing practices, the first one is fasting. Matthew five twenty-eight or 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw away. Some people through church history have taken Jesus literally here and done a lot of damage. Jesus is speaking hyperbolically here. Use your imagination, okay? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. How do we kill lust? I'll say that fasting is the practice that helps you strengthen your no muscle. No. No. Every time I fast, I hate it. They ought to call it slow. Because it takes forever, and you're miserable, and I'm hungry as heck, and I, and I turn into hangry, and, and it's just, it's not, it's not great, but it's good. It's good. Because you learn what you can live without. You learn to get really lean and mean in God's presence. You learn to humble yourself. You learn to wait. You learn, to, to, you learn that self-gratification and quick fixes actually isn't it. And, and I'll just say like fasting, okay, to you young ones, again, let me just say, why, why does the church not uh, pr- uh, prohibit, or why does the church prohibit premarital sex, why? Because if you can show your potential partner or your future spouse that you can say no on the front end, what you show them is that you can say no when you're on a business trip. 
This isn't God being difficult. This is him developing muscle memory and holiness. Developing muscle memory and in, in being patient, in waiting, in, in learning to yearn for God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. He's out in the wilderness fasting and the devil comes to him to tempt him at the level of his senses. 40 days, no water, no food. And he's out there on the brink and the enemy comes and he dangles the carrot. He says, hey, if you're the son of God, command this stone to be bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And, and he might as well have said, man shall not live by sex alone, but by every desire that comes from the heart of God. Like I can say no, and as I say no, and as I wait on God, and as I let the spirit do this purgation in my being, what happens is I rise from that place of fasting as a mature and faithful follower of Jesus, and I have more spiritual authority into the next season of my life. It says that Jesus came out of the wilderness after fasting and praying for 40 days, and he came out in the power of the spirit. When we take the cheap shortcuts and say yes, and we turn the stone into bread, and we steal from other people, and instead of bearing the cross, we borrow their goodness and we consume it for ourselves, and then we leave them as a shell of a human being. What happens is we come out less of a human being. When we fast and we pray and we trust God and we wait, we come out of the wilderness season in the power of the Spirit and more of a human being. Fasting, fasting, fasting will make you faithful. It's developing holiness. It's developing muscle memory and righteousness. Jesus says, throw it away two times in this text. It's better for you to lose one thing than to lose it all. Fast, trust God. Jesus talks about hell twice in this text. He says, throw it away twice, and he says, if you don't, you're thrown into hell. And he's not just talking about some kind of eternal hell, but hell on earth for everyone who is affected by adultery and sexual sin. Because it feels good for a moment, and then you look up and everyone around you pays for it, and you pay for it. Fasting is a boundary, and we need boundaries, just like fire needs boundaries. Sex is like fire. It can either warm a house or it can burn down an entire region. You put fire in a fireplace, we got something good going on. It's a container. It's a focused spot. It's right here. It's not going out there. Fire can be great. Fire can be destructive. Sex can be great. Sex can be destructive. Fasting and waiting on God and doing it his way, you'll find that you grow as a human being into the fullness of his image. The second healing practice is feasting. Fasting, we, a lot of times the church is comfortable talking about no, all the, ah, no. And again, we start to think that God is this heavenly curmudgeon, this cosmic, you know, killjoy. No, he's not. Feasting, Paul's talking to young Christians in 2 Timothy 2.22. It's an easy one to remember. 2 Timothy, it's a bunch of twos, 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts. So flee, one thing, but then he says, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Feast on holiness. We need boundaries, but we also need beauty. God is not just saying no. He's saying, here is my yes. Righteousness, faith, 
holiness, purity, beauty, the word of God, the presence of God in worship. Feast on, go find some wells where there's springs of living water springing up. So yes, we need fences, we need, we need fasting, we need, we need boundaries, but we also need to run to these wells where life is bubbling up. We need to feast on the beauty of God. Don't just run from sexual temptation, run to righteousness. Let me just say this as we close. The goal is not simply sexual restraint. The goal is to become the kind of person who wouldn't do it even if nobody would ever know. And that's when you know you're a person of integrity. If no, you promised that no one would ever know and you could do whatever you wanted, the righteous person goes, I'm gonna stay with Jesus. I'm gonna follow God's plan. I'm gonna run to righteousness and faith and holiness and purity and peace. I'm gonna stay clean. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna take up my cross and deny myself and follow Jesus even if it kills me because on the other side of it is resurrection life. And so friends, tonight, I want to say to you, God is for you, which is why Jesus would say something like this to us. This is not God being against us. This is not God being mad at us. This is, God not, this is not God trying to keep us from joy. It's God trying to protect us into joy. And so as we come to the end of this moment, I'm aware that the enemy loves to play with our minds in moments like this. And he loves to deal in shame. God will never shame you. If you feel shame, right away it's a red flag. That's the devil. He doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to convict us by his Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling condemned and shamed and driven away, that's the devil tonight. And, and God is the one who's always wooing us back home. So to those of you who are tempted to feel shame tonight because of things you've done in your past or, or current sexual expressions, and you might say it's too late for me, and there, I'll just say to you tonight, there's always a way out into the light of God's love. There is no shame. There is no shame. There is no shame. I would never want my kids to feel like they had to stay away from me. I'm your dad. This is your mom. Come home. If that's you tonight, I just say, come home. God is not mad at you. God is not here to wag the finger. He's here to welcome you back to the family table. Can you say amen tonight? To those of you who feel shame, come home tonight. That's not God. To those of you who are addicted, if God can't set you free, why do we come? And my rule is, if you'll be around here for any length of time, you will have heard me say it. If God raised Jesus from the dead, anything's on the table. (laughs) If you're addicted, there's freedom for you. Will it cost you? Absolutely. Is all the good stuff hard work? Absolutely. Is all the stuff that's worth it, worth pressing into? Absolutely. If you want it, freedom is yours. Will we walk with you as a church? Yes. Will God forgive you of your sins and lead you into freedom? Absolutely. Will it cost? Yes. So if, it, if it's you tonight and you go, I, I, I sense the shame and I've been addicted, I'll say to you, freedom, 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 freedom is your inheritance tonight because Jesus died and rose again and he's inviting all of you addicted to come home and to receive freedom. Come on home. And to the final group, I want to talk to those who have been traumatized or abused and say to you,
on behalf of the Father, I'm sorry. That was not his will. Very often in these moments, the enemy comes to people who have been taken advantage of and says, see, you deserved that. And I rebuke that garbage in Jesus' name. You did not deserve that. And I'm so sorry. And God is the God who pours on the oil and binds up our wounds and restores. He's constantly picking people up. He's constantly healing people. And that's just a picture of what he does to those hidden, hidden brokennesses, those hidden moments of shame, those hidden moments where someone put something on you and did something to you and stole something from you. And the enemy wants you to carry that in silence. And tonight, God is here to say, come home, let me heal you, let me hold you. Because this is the one safe touch that you can trust the touch of the father and what the enemy tried to do to break you through unholy touch god wants to heal you tonight through his clean touch through his trustworthy touch through his fatherly touch that can be trusted and so tonight those of you who have paid the price for someone else's lust someone else someone else's sin first i'm sorry and this is the god who will heal and redeem and restore everything that the enemy meant to steal from you. Can we say amen tonight, church? Stand with me, please. I've gone just a little bit longer tonight because this text deserves it. But what I want us to do before we come and receive our communion elements is I want us to pray. I want us to pray the prayer of confession. And this prayer of confession was written by an adulterer. Psalm 51, the prayer we're going to pray is lifted from Psalm 51. King David, who was clean when he was young, pure in heart, a man after God's own heart, he gets power hungry and and gets sloppy and he steals someone else's wife. He consumes someone else's wife. Lust took him over. And in that moment, he repents and he falls on his knees and he says, have mercy on me, O God. Create in me a clean heart. So tonight, for wherever you are, if it's, if it's the shame that you're bringing to the table of the Lord to leave, if it's the addiction that you're bringing to the table of the Lord to leave, and if it's the abuse and the trauma and the hurt that you're bringing to the table of the Lord to leave, we're all praying together, have mercy on us, O oh God. So would you quiet your hearts right now? It's going to come up on the screen. And I want you to look at this first paragraph and see if you can pray that by faith. No coercion, not forcing you to do anything here, but can you look at those words and say, yeah, I need to give those words and my heart to God. If that's you, if you can join me in praying that, let's pray this prayer together, saying, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said.
And now I say to you, the proclamation of the gospel is that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If any person be in Christ, that person is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. God has buried our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and he doesn't remember it. You are forgiven. You are washed. You're renewed. You're restored. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Saints, can we celebrate God's forgiveness tonight in this place? I want to invite our communion servers to come forward. There's going to be four stations in the front, two stations on the side. The ushers will kind of show you the flow of the room. Come and grab these communion elements. Take it back to your seat. Hold it as we worship. And I'll come back in just a minute. We'll receive together. Come to the table of the Lord.